Hello, curiosity seekers and adventurous thinkers. Welcome to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio, the podcast for the relentlessly curious. This season, our host and Applied Curiosity Lab's chief curiosity seeker, Becky Saltzman, will be sharing the studio with ACL's chief experience producer and favorite sister, Jennifer Felberg. The lens is, and always will be, curiosity. Each week, fun and formal conversations center around one delectable curiosity bite, designed to give your brain the time and ideas to think about thinking, to flex your curiosity muscle, and maybe even revolutionize the way you think. When we were coming out of the Justin Timberlake concert, we were all going to meet in the van. Our driver was going to drive us back because we had had too many adult beverages and we were being responsible. And when we got to the van, there was a woman that wasn't part of our group that was there and she was charging her phone in the van. And I thought, what are you doing there? And everyone else said, okay, it's time you need to leave. Evidently, the driver was allowing her, Wally was allowing her to charge her phone in the van. And I didn't really know why. She seemed really super upset and she was crying and she was explaining, trying to explain, but really like heaving and crying. And so I was asking her what had happened. And she said that her boyfriend had abandoned her outside the concert and her battery, her cell phone battery was totally dead. And she was really grateful to have a few minutes just to charge her cell phone. She showed me it was like at 1%. And everyone was saying, okay, you got to get out. We're going home. And she just looked like she didn't even know what to do because she had this dead cell phone battery. And so I started talking to her. It turns out that her boyfriend had kicked her out of the car, left her there. She had recently moved to Portland. She really didn't know anyone. It kind of gave me the feeling that she was in an abusive relationship. But she said, even she was crying and saying, I'm 36. I want to have kids. My family really wants me to stay with this guy. So there was a lot of things that I was trying to unpack in a short period of time while we waited for everyone else to get there. So before she was kicked out, and finally I asked if Wally could just take her home. And people were saying, no, 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 you can't take her home. And I didn't know why she seemed so innocuous, but whatever. She says, well, maybe I could just drive with you wherever so I could have enough time to charge my phone. And I said, can she do that? And finally, everyone agreed. And that was that. When we got to our place, Wally suggested that he would just take her wherever he was going. And then she could go from there because it turned out it would be a very expensive lift ride because one of the other people, Michelle, said that she would buy a lift for this woman, but it was really expensive when we came to find out. So there was just all these things that were just working against this woman, although Wally had let her charge her phone. And I thought about that because I thought, wow, here's this woman in this kind of strange city with a cell phone. She might have had money. She might not have. But what could she have done if no one believed her, if Wally hadn't let her charge her phone? Ultimately, what would she have done? I also wondered why my friends were telling her that Wally shouldn't take her home. I didn't have the backstory that a few months before, Wally had picked up some people. And it's not a Lyft driver. He's a professional driver. He makes arrangements. And a bunch of guys had gotten in the car and wanted their pit bull to get in the car. And Wally said, fine, but the dog has to go in the back. And they said, no way. The dog has to sit in the front. And Wally said, no. And the guy punched him in the face. And when the dog saw that, he leapt at Wally. And Wally barely made it inside a building where this attack dog would have otherwise gotten him and called the police and charges were pressed. I think the guy spent a couple of days in jail. I can understand why people were saying to Wally not to take this woman after what had happened to him. What I also didn't know and came to find out later was that Wally had seen the boyfriend punch this woman and push her down. So 
That's why I was wondering why he let her in the car if he had that experience earlier. Yeah. So that was information that I didn't have till afterwards because I finally, a couple of days later, I said, whatever. I asked whatever happened to that woman. And Carrie explained that he ended up dropping her off at home and she really did live where she said she lived and everything in her story that could map out, mapped out. But it got me thinking about what I would do if I was in a strange city or a city that I wasn't familiar with, like I am Portland. And my cell phone battery was dead. What would you do? So here's the curiosity bite. If you were lost in a new city with $20, a dead cell phone battery, and people who didn't believe you or want to help, what would you do? Well, it would depend on where I am. If it was somewhere where like an urban situation, I might try to walk to a Safeway or a Starbucks or something like that to talk to an employee and see if I can get some help there. How would you know where to find that? Well, you just I'd start... have to just, yeah, I'd have to just start walking. I have no navigation. Maybe I would ask people where a Starbucks was or a Albertsons or something like that. And they could say, you know, two blocks that way, like we used to do in the old days. So that would be at least someone who was willing to help a little bit by at least directing you. This scenario requires someone to help you, someone to give you directions. And if you didn't need directions, someone when you landed at either the Starbucks or the grocery store or the restaurant, someone would ultimately have to believe you. We right. couldn't be self-reliant. No, absolutely not. And what do you it, think you could? I don't I don't think so. I don't know what you could do, because in the olden days, you could go to a bus stop and you could find the little brochures that were at the bus stop. Right. And you could look at the brochures and you could kind of figure it out through paper because it would be there. But now everything's on an app. And they do have maps usually on the walls. But I don't think you can even get on the bus now without having paid Maybe you have $20 you could get on the oh, bus. Oh, that's right, $20, yeah. So you could get on a bus, but I mean, how would you even figure out how to take the bus? Some of the bus stops don't even have those maps. Yeah, you're so reliant on our phones. No, if you had the phone, but it wasn't charged, someone could allow you to charge the phone, which is what Wally did. Right. But what if he didn't? You have to rely, ultimately, whether you land at a restaurant, whether you ask for directions, you have to rely on someone helping you. Right. What if no one believed you? because of how you looked, because of where you were, because of what might have happened recently. There was some woman that matched your description that had been on a terror. I mean, something that was completely outside of your control. I think you would have to hoof it. For my, I mean, what else can you do? You would have to continue to search until someone did believe you or helped you, or you're just walking for days and days and days until you can get to where you need to get. I mean, that's... When I was in Carpentria, I got to the hotel and there was no food and I hadn't eaten all day. So I wanted to walk to a grocery store. So I asked them, and I don't know the city at all. So I didn't know if it was in a good area, a bad area, but I asked them where the grocery store was and it was like a half a mile away. So I started walking to the grocery store. As I was walking, it was dark and I thought, hmm, you know, it's weird because you don't have any sense of whether it's a place that you should be walking around or not. My, I don't really have a heightened sense of fear about that, but I thought maybe I'm being stupid. And I heard this woman crying. And I looked and there was this woman, she's probably in her late 20s, and she was sitting on the curb. And I asked her, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay. And then I thought, oh, God, Becky. So I said, are you really okay? And she said, no, her boyfriend had abandoned her and she had been walking and walking and walking and walking. She wasn't from there. They were from the Bay Area. They were coming from L.A. They had gotten into a fight. It sounded like a pattern. She says, he's actually my fiance. I said, well, you may want to rethink that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, and she had gone. She actually had money. So she had found the Motel 6 and she had gone in, but she didn't have ID. 
Oh. Because the ID had been in the car when her, I think, frankly, she got out in a huff and the boyfriend drove off. But she didn't have ID, but she had her phone, but he wasn't answering and she didn't have anyone she could call there. And she had gone to the Motel 6 and they wouldn't take her money without ID. Reminds me of that movie with Natalie Portman, where she gets abandoned as a pregnant woman in the Walmart and she lives in the Walmart for a long, long, long time until she has the baby. I don't even know that. Yeah, that's a good movie. It is? Mm -hmm. It sounds ridiculous. No, it's a good movie. Are you someone who helps people? Are you someone who gives out money or helps people in need? Because I'll tell you, I, I did my good deed with that woman. I actually walked her to the Motel 6 and I showed my ID. Oh, wow. And then she used her money to get in. And it was nothing venture, but she could have had her boyfriend hiding. It was There was kind of a wooded area next to it. And I didn't know. She could have had a boyfriend hiding who hit me over the head. And I mean, it wasn't completely safe. I just asked her a bunch of questions and then did it. I have never had a situation like that where someone is like, please help me. I would like to think that if they were like, please, you know, I was abandoned. I wouldn't make them live in a Walmart, but I not one to like, you know, the people that stand at the corners of intersections and stuff like that. I'm not one to give money. You don't roll down your window and like no, throw a dollar. Or no. Whatever. Why don't you? Because I feel like it's annoying and I like maybe more of an organization. I like to volunteer. I like to help people out more in an organized way, I guess. I give to street musicians and things like that. But So are people are vetted so you feel like you're not contributing? Because there's been something written, a lot of things written about the fact that a lot of the people that are territory, their territory is at this intersection and then they have a guy, almost like a pimp, that goes and picks you all up and you're supposed to give. It's kind of almost That's like a... What I feel like mm. it's a it's a racket if someone came up to you on the street and they wanted to borrow your cell phone would you let them i think so just i think random i mean maybe i would call for them i don't know if i would just hand over my cell phone to them but i think that if they were like i need to make a phone call i am abandoned here and my phone is dead or i don't have a phone please help me I would like to think that I would. Yeah. What would you use to decide not to? If I had like any sense that they were, you know, a rapist or something, <laughs> you know, I get they give me rape stomach or something, then what would that probably, be? What would be just that creepy feeling? I think then I'd be a little nervous. I mean, I like to think that my gut is telling me something. Okay. So if you were blind, would you be able to determine the rapey feeling or are you using it all visual? I think I would. Okay. Then you have to describe how. Because I can't, even when I'm closing my eyes and picture, the only, <laughs> the only thing I'm picturing right now in my head are googly eyes. <laughs> I don't know why. If someone had googly eyes, you would open your wallet and give them all your money. No. You love googly eyes. You no, love I'm saying I would be prejudiced against that. Against googly eyes? I, I that's what I thought uh, they would give me rapey stomach. I don't know why <laughs> googly eyes came to mind. But poor crazy eyes from orange is a new oh, black. Crazy. I love crazy eyes. No, I just think that was something that came to my mind. I don't know why. But I do think there's a feeling I get. You know me with the whole idea of intuition. Yeah. And I think that, you know, whether we should trust our intuition, given that it aids our decision making, it's overrated. And I know that that's controversial because people think you should always trust your intuition, but I am not suggesting you shouldn't trust your intuition. I think that there's a stage between the intuitive feeling and the decision to trust or not trust. And I call that curiosity. So why do you have that intuition? Teaching kids or teaching ourselves to identify as close as we can with as much curiosity as we can, what is it that is causing that intuition? Because if not, and you're not familiar with the cognitive biases like affect heuristic, are you happy? Do they make you feel happy? Have they said something that makes you feel good? 
then you could associate them with safety. And people who know that, and particularly real cons, which I think most people on the street who are asking for money are not professional cons, but real cons can make that feeling, that affect heuristic where you feel happy or you feel positive, lead you to a decision that could be inappropriate. Yeah, it's a bias, I guess, but I also think maybe they're clues. But biases provide clues. For example, you wouldn't even realize what would happen if you had read in the paper the day before that someone who offered help got raped or someone who offered help was murdered or injured or attacked. You wouldn't even know that was an influence on your behavior. That's the availability heuristic, right, Mm -hmm. where we read about plane crashes and we think they happen more frequently. It's the same thing when we talk about with the border wall, for example. We read or hear or even we experience ourselves someone that we know or that we loved or that we read about one data point or five data points of people who were injured or killed or robbed by someone who happened to have come to this country illegally. And we then judge the frequency of that completely disproportionate just because it's easy for us to recall those events. Mm -hmm. That same thing can affect how we help other people, that availability heuristic. Let's say you were in Tahiti and someone was wandering and asked you for help and they were wearing a Portland, Oregon sweatshirt. The likelihood of you helping that person would be far greater because of that commonality of having Portland, Oregon. And you wouldn't necessarily even know the power of that influence. So those are kinds of things that I think are good to be aware of. And when we just say, I'm going to trust my intuition, we don't tend to learn about what informs our intuition. I mean, no one would say, I really bought that stock because the CEO said that he had or she had the intuition that the company was going to really succeed. You'd think that was crazy, right? Yeah. In light of that, how do you determine who you help and who you don't help? When they're random. Well, in light of that, that <laughs> changes everything. No, but when you think about yeah. your intuition, what do you? Th- how do you think it's informed? I think you're right. I think it is probably all of the biases that come into play. I'm thinking about that in terms of when I fell in love with KMFDM. The band. The band that I sang with for three years after they came into the studio and I met them. Something about the main guy, Sasha, was I just loved him. Can and you, I can't tell you why, come on, but try. I felt this motherly love for him. And did you ever go to one of my concerts? I can't even yes. remember. Which concert? Oh, you, you went to the I, Portland concert. Okay, I'm with, gonna, I don't want <laughs> to interrupt your story, but mm-hmm. I do have to say, I remember this so well because I brought a bunch of people from work and you came in a fluffy pink Angora sweater. I'll never forget. <laughs> you look like the cute little Jewish American princess that you were. <laughs> And then we went to the Roseland and it was they got on stage and all of a sudden you got on as Juke Joint Jezebel and you had pasties on your boobs, <laughs> go-go shorts, plastic go-go shorts, a wig. And I remember people were like, where's your sister? Where's your sister? And I said, that's her. And dad's jaw was like on the ground. <laughs> to anyone listening, check out Juke Joint Jezebel. Yes. Uh, Yeah. And you, with your ripped fishnets, rocked it. And then afterwards, we all met and you were like, hi, what did you think? (laughs) My glasses. Your glasses and your (laughs) chatty Kathy. It's so true. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so yes, I was there because that's also the one where Jeff jumped into the mosh pit and broke his neck. 
his yeah his neck. Remember? I do remember yeah, I mean that. he didn't. What an idiot for jumping into the mosh pit. But. Right, but that. So I do remember that. Anyway, go on. Why did you fall in love with Sasha? There's something, and now if I can think about the things that you've taught us. What were the biases that I had? And there's also the likability. So there might be something where a con person or someone who inadvertently has something kind of like the Portland, Oregon sweatshirt. Yeah. Where there is a commonality that you feel. There's definitely a racial bias sometimes when you were a black person who got stuck in a very white community. I think it'd be harder. Or if you were a white person stuck in a black community or a community where people didn't look like you, I think it might be harder because of these cognitive biases. Cognitive biases precede racial biases. So if we don't understand cognitive biases, we're never going to understand any other kind of bias. And I think it's important to say you just have to be aware of them. I was saying that those same triggers will make you like someone. Me liking Sasha for no apparent reason in my mind at the Mm -hmm. time really led to a good adventure. Yeah, that was an awesome adventure. Yeah. So So, what was it? What was it about him that you liked? I'm trying to think back. It came across very conservative, German, Mohawk, rough, smoking. I mean, (laughs) no one would, let's just say no one would put us two together. But Was he funny? He was funny. Mm. He was smart and clever. There was just something about him. I, I felt motherly toward him. Even oh. though I think he was older than I think. Yeah, I think he's older than I am. But I just instantly, and, and same with Raymond, the, and who ended up to be Pig. Mm-hmm. Those two, that combination of those two, I wanted to be with them. I enjoyed them. And, well, and you're there was all, no reason. You're all extremely charismatic. So yes. that, that is a commonality. You have yes. a similar charisma. I mean, it's a unique kind of charisma that is all, I think, similar. So that could be something. But I think it's, but I do think it's really valuable and important to identify how we form our intuitions versus just say, I have a good intuition. I always trust my intuition. If you're in a room with a bunch of people and let's say that you smell smoke, would you be, and everyone, and you turn to someone and say, do you smell smoke? And they said, yeah, yeah. Would you expect someone else, particularly if there was someone of authority or someone who had been in the building before and you were new, would you expect someone else to go out and investigate it? Or would you get out and be the one to go and investigate the smoke? I have been the one that has gone out. and I'm a, yeah, definitely. I'd be the one that would go out. I'm a doer. Every single person claims that. The percentage of people who claim that they would do it far, far outnumbers the percentage. It's like a ridiculous... I was going to say no, but I I think I would be the one that would go out and do it. The bystander effect really came about in the 1960s when that, I think her name was Kitty Genovese. Remember, she was the one that was murdered in New York City. She was stabbed to death outside her apartment and none of the neighbors stopped to assist or even call the police because they all saw that other people were seeing it and assumed that other people would call or stop to call the police. And then it was named the bystander effect. But the one thing about the bystander effect is that when one person is there to see something happen, we're more likely to jump in and do something as when we see that there are other bystanders around to see something. Okay, you're going to take care of that. What I wonder in that example at the Coliseum was that we all thought, well, she gets out of our car, let someone else help her. But eventually people would dwindle and they would all go away and there she'd be standing alone. And when you're standing alone, then you might worry that you're being conned. Or maybe that there's someone else hiding behind something that's going to jump out once you reach in your wallet or once you walk someplace that someone else would jump out and take advantage. And I don't know that we can just rely on what we think is our intuition. I think we make so many mistakes. Not that we should live with regret, 
But I think that we should be regretful enough to excavate our mistakes to get the lessons out and then move on. Well, did you know that trust is one of the very first things that we develop as a child? No. How do you know that? Well, I'm very smart. (laughs) (laughs) What reason? No, I've read a lot of articles and things that talk about that's one of the things we trust that our mothers will feed us and hold us and take care of us. And that's one of the first things that we develop. I think it would be very hard to measure trust. I think it's one of those studies where my social science skepticism. Trust me on this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, actually, what about when people say, trust me? I remember reading about that guy who wrote the book on intuition, and he was describing the woman who was getting into her apartment. And when she was getting with the groceries, the grocery bag ripped and some of the food fell kind of out of the grocery bag. And she was getting into her locked apartment and the guy said, held the door for her. And she said, thank you. And he says, oh, let me help you into the elevator. And she said, oh, no, no, I'm good. And he says, trust me, trust me. Now, ding, ding, ding. that should be a ding, Bad ding, sign. ding. And she got in and then he said, well, let me take it inside. She says, no, 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 thanks. He goes, listen, trust me. I, wh- what do you think I'm going to do? Trust me. But at that moment, she didn't want to be rude. She didn't want to be seen as someone who was suspicious. suspicious. She didn't want to be wrong. She let him into the house and he actually turned into a thing with her kitchen knife and she got him out and she barely escaped with her life. But my point is the whole trust me thing is a red flag. I totally get that. But actually, I think with the child, the thing that we first develop with trust, I think is somewhat true because it's a survival mechanism. We have to trust our parents or someone to take care of us because talk about being abandoned without a cell phone when you're first born, you have nothing. So you have to rely on somebody else. Okay, well, I think we're labeling trust. I don't know that it's trust. Well, my list today is about how you know not to trust someone. I'm starting to get the feeling that I don't trust your list. (laughs) (laughs) Trust me. Trust me on this list. Okay, go. One of the ways you can tell not to trust someone is that they lie to themselves. They are inconsistent with reality. So when they say, oh, I am a very peaceful person, I seek harmony, but you see all the time that they're very disruptive or confrontational. (laughs) So that's someone that lies to themselves. Are they lying to themselves or are they lying to you about who they are? Both. But I think they think of themselves as, I had a friend that I'm not going to tell you the name, but you probably can guess. Who is it? Give me the initials. (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna guess who it is i'm not gonna say they always say i'm just the peacekeeper of the group you all fight around me and i'm always stuck between the two of you or the three of you and i'm just the peacekeeper there is no way shape or form that this person was the peacekeeper but that's how she wanted to be seen believes that that's what she is no does she i think she does i think she has lied so much to herself that she believes it I think any time that someone says, I'm all about this or I'm all about that, it does not make me trust that that is the fact. I think if you're claiming or explaining how you are a certain kind of person, why do you have to do that? Or like relationships that are always saying how much they love each other in public all the time. Mm -hmm. That's usually a flag. I remember when I was growing up, my friend's parents were marriage counselors. And I, you know, I never knew from a marriage counselor. We never, there weren't any shows with marriage counselors. But on the wall of her house were all of these pictures of her parents, like, practically making out. It was weird. Ew. Kissing and loving and one <laughs> after the other. And they were always dancing and loving together. And 
I thought to myself, what the, that is really must be what a good marriage is because they're <laughs> marriage counselors. Mm-hmm. They were both having affairs. They ended up divorced. Thou dost protest too much. Now we know because our parents were married all the way to the end. They would definitely be affectionate, but I don't think that they would document all of this affection and put it on the wall. Oh, my God, no. No, my God. (laughs) I think I would throw up a little bit in my mouth. I would throw up a little bit in my mouth, not because they're parents. I would throw up a little bit in my mouth if that was me doing that with my husband. I would throw up way more than a little bit if it was you and your husband. (laughs) (laughs) All right, what's the next one? So this is one where similar, very similar, but it's when you accuse everybody else of doing something. You should not be trusted to not do something that you accuse everyone else of doing. Like Joe Bob Lupnick telling everybody that Susie Cream Cheese is going to quit. Joe Bob 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 Lupnick. <laughs> Joe Bob Lupnick at work. Yes. Is telling everyone at work that Susie. Looks like Susie Cream Cheese is going to quit. Looks like she's looking for her work. Oh, yeah. Susie Cream Cheese is unhappy. That means Joe Bob Blubnick is going to quit. And it turns out Joe Bob Lupnick is the one that wants to quit. Hmm. I have to think about that one for a minute. Another one, while you think, Mm -hmm. is one that I might have a problem with. I think I'm trustworthy, but maybe not with this, is that sometimes I breach confidentiality. (laughs) That means you're not trustworthy by definition. (sighs) I mean, sometimes I have to tell the gossip to you. I can't hold it back. Wait a minute. Telling it to to me, telling it to me does not qualify as telling it to anyone. Yes, it does. It totally does. If you tell one person, especially when somebody tells you in confidence, that's breaching their confidentiality. And I tell you everything. But does that mean someone shouldn't trust you? No, you should. Everyone should trust me. (laughs) (laughs) Don't pay attention to that last one. Okay, my problem now that I'm hearing this is if I tell you something not to tell anyone and the only outlet is for you to tell me, I'll have to just come back and tell you. Oh, you've told me some stuff and I have not done that to you. You have not told, you've come back and told me. I have come back and told you. There's been times where I've told you something and then you come back and said, I can't, I'm going to tell you this. And I'm like, wait a minute, I told you that. I'm the one that told you that and I told you not to tell anyone. (laughs) 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 All right. I do think that people who do blab are not to be trusted, but I think that there are some things that we tell people that if we really didn't want anyone to know, we wouldn't tell one person to begin with. And I will say this. I really appreciate, and I know people get annoyed with this, but I tell everyone, so I want everyone to hear this. You know this well, but I never cease to remind you. Anything that you're going to tell me that you do not want me to tell anyone else, I would prefer you to not assume that I know not to tell people, but that you tell people, put this in your sacred lockbox. Because just by hearing those words, like not don't tell anybody, but this is something I want you to put in that sacred lockbox, not to tell anyone. I almost compartmentalize it in my brain, and I know that I cannot let that out. The problem with it is I can't remember it either because (laughs) one of the ways I— You're not trustworthy. You're just—you just have dementia. (laughs) (laughs) When I put something in one of those—in my lockbox, like if you tell me, don't tell anyone. Where is your lockbox? I want to know where that is. (laughs) I threw away the key. (laughs) No, if I put something in that, I tend to forget it. And I don't know if that's what facilitates me not telling, but I forget it. When you tell me major gossip and tell me not to tell anyone, feel free to tell me in another month or so, and you'll still get credit for telling me new (laughs) new gossip. Ooh. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Because, you know, I might say, you haven't told me any gossip lately. Just bring up something you told me three months ago. It'll seem like new again. 
This is the most dangerous of the five behaviors, and it's a shared behavior of probably every single person that's untrustworthy. Dun dun dun! They are able to rationalize being untrustworthy by diminishing the impact, pain, damage, or inconvenience they cause others. Okay, so you tell me a secret. And I decide to tell someone else. And you approach me and say, why did you tell those people? And I say, oh, they didn't care. It didn't matter at all. It doesn't even matter. No one even cared. You know, it wasn't even interesting to them. And you say, but I asked you not to tell. It's kind of a form of gaslighting. Why are you always so concerned about everything being secret, Jennifer? Right. And then you think to yourself, am I someone who is concerned with being? No, I asked you not to tell and you blabbed. And then you diminished the effect of not being trustworthy. I think that this is a really dangerous one because I also think that we justify how we judge others in the same way. So one of the Mm -hmm. things that drives me crazy is when someone is critical of something that Donald Trump does, someone is very critical. And it's something that logically, even if you are a Donald Trump supporter, you should be critical of. Maybe that there was some documentation that he paid off (laughs) some person who with whom he was sleeping and that doc whether you believe actual check his personal account (laughs) yeah that instead of being curious about whether that's good or bad you say that's what all politicians do right or a criticism of donald trump leads someone and i hear this a lot from non-donald trump supporters where they say yeah but that's what the government is right now it's just a big old cesspool and it's kind of a way to forgive behavior by saying oh everyone's doing it Mm -hmm. and it's not exactly the same as what you're saying. But if I do something untrustworthy and I focus on the lack of effect that it had, no one needed to know or it didn't matter in the long run. That is probably the most dangerous sign. And it's hard because what I find, and I don't know about you, when someone tells you something that they shouldn't tell you, but they're sharing it just with you, how often do you think that they're untrustworthy? Me? Not so much. But in the back of my mind, I know I should. (laughs) Yeah, because when we're the recipient of the juicy gossip, we're so appreciative of hearing that, those juicy morsels, that it's hard to know whether, it's hard to shift your brain and say to yourself, hmm, I shouldn't be the recipient of that. And that tells me that the person who's giving me that G, that gossip, should not be trusted. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, that doesn't apply to you. No. Giving the G to me. Of course not. We are the exception to the rule. <laughs> we are the exception. This information about how much we trust our intuition relative to how much we should trust our intuition, the research that supports, stop laughing, I'm, <laughs> I'm giving you. I, it makes me smile every time. Every time we get to never the sort of old. <laughs> no, the sort of facts never get old. Going to attend PU. <laughs> the research found that the percentage of people who trust their intuition relative to the percentage of time their intuition was really accurate is 37%. You know, a lot of your sort of facts are around 37%. Okay, wait a minute. Let me change it. I think you you misheard that. Then then, that was not a prestigious university. (laughs) That wasn't prestigious university. Universities that have acceptance rates of 84% or higher tend to find that intuition is something you should trust 87% of the time. (laughs) That was a good one. Thanks for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Before you take off, I have a few more things to let you know about. One. 
You can find show notes for every episode of ACLR and links to all resources mentioned at applycuriositylab.com forward slash blog. It's there that we'll wait to read your answers to each week's Curiosity Bite. Two, in order to avoid missing Curiosity Bitten conversations, subscribe to Apply Curiosity Lab Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and all the other spots that podcasts hang out and wait to be discovered. Toss up a review, especially if you have nice things to say. Finally, for all things Apply Curiosity, including information on workshops and your free membership to the Tribe of the Curious, go to applycuriositylab.com. In the meantime, elevate curiosity.